Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And you're in the Zoom transporter room. Not only can you listen to us this week on our podcast, which is available on all the platforms, wherever you find out sports, but this week we're also on Zoom. And the reason we're on Zoom is because we're talking about rugby. Carly, tell everyone what they're trying to do to transgender women athletes. Well, first off, the site of the 2021 Women's Rugby World Cup will be New Zealand next year, coronavirus permitting. What World Rugby did was back in February, they had a meeting at their headquarters in London where they brought a working group. They, they formed a, what they called the Transgender Working Group to try and, find, to try and do, do certain alterations to the policy. World Rugby before then had followed AIC way to policy on transgender participation as as most of world sports has since 2003 world rugby got together a working group now one thing that has to be told about this working group there wasn't a there was one transgender rugby player on it as a part of it and that was a male player verity smith there were no trans no competing trans women who were in rugby, who are part of the working group. There was only one trans woman, Joanne, Dr. Joanne Harper, that had any experience whatsoever. But as an athlete. Guess, yeah, yeah, as an athlete. But guess who was invited? Um, Dr. Nicola Williams, spokesperson and head of Fair Play for Women UK, a known anti-trans group. Yes, I said it. And Dr. Ross Tucker from Science of Sports, who is also known to put forth rather transphobic views, among other things. From there, they came up with a 38-page draft document that was actually, that was leaked to the Guardian newspaper in the UK that basically said that they are considering a trans ban based on a study that looked at no trans athletes, but they came up with these claims such as there is a 20 to 30% higher risk of injury on a rugby pitch if a cisgender woman is tackled by a transgender woman. Now, mind you, this number is based on complete hyperbole. They, we asked, I asked Ross Tucker, was this based on any, any rugby data from games? It was- Any not. elite athletes, exactly. Yeah, but, but more so not even based on actual play. This was not based on play. This was based on a lot of extrapolation of data that had that that you can't pull that you did not pull from any sporting experience. You know so what they should have done? Yeah, Carly, I, I just that that and that's what you wrote about in Outsports. And what they what we've seen is since then a lot of trans uh, gender activists, advocates, a lot of cisgender rugby players, a lot of teams, a lot of leagues, a lot of officials have come out and denounced this proposal. And what these people should have done is contacted someone down in Wellington, New Zealand, who you <laughs> contacted. Let's set coordinates to beam up Alice Soper from Wellington, New Zealand. Carly, take it away. Alice, welcome to the transporter room. Welcome. We should be piping you on it. This is, a, this is an honor of, as somebody who's not only been great on the pitch, but has been very outspoken off of it. The catalyst for this actually came from you on Radio New Zealand last on Radio New Zealand last week, where you basically said this was sheer nonsense. Yeah. To you, 
as a pl- as a player, when you are when you're hearing about the methodology and you're hearing about this ruling, what was the first thing that came to your mind, just hearing and reading about this? I just feel like it's this huge big thing uh, that is for something that, to be honest with you, is such a minority within our sport, and it's 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 based on a whole bunch of assumptions about what female trans or cis athletes can do, which we just haven't even begun to really do the research in terms of the sports science there. I I think about myself as an athlete and the way that I've been trained over my um, career and how it's only been in the last couple of seasons that people start talking to us about periods and about how that impacts our training cycles. Because for so long, all sports science has been based on the idea that I am a small man and should be trained in that way. And so they don't even know what I'm capable of so before you start being worried about me with anyone else, you don't even know what I can do. Um, I just thought this whole argument that I'm at more risk, I mean, we have such a range of diversity that is included within our sport that is the best part of rugby is that whether you are a tiny person or a big, strong girl, like you can do, anybody can be playing our game. And that's the awesome thing. And so I just think if anybody else wants to play, cool, like come and join us because we're all on the pitch, we're all different sizes. That's the best part. So let's continue to encourage that. I'd like to ask you just a devil's advocate question. Yeah. The whole argument against transgender athletes competing with cisgender athletes is that it's not a fair playing field. Why do you think it's fair? I want you to consider that no trans person is trying to steal someone's place. No one wants to displace anyone. They just want to compete like everyone else. But why do you think it's fair? Because I think that there is such variability in size and ability on our pitch already. Like, so as I said on radio in New Zealand, like if you go down to any club game any weekend, you've got a girl that probably weighs about 55 kgs on the same pitch with someone that may may weigh 120. Now, I'm sorry, I'm saying that in kilograms because in New Zealand, uh, that's that's how we, we base our measurements. But the point being that we've got people that are two, three times the size of each other, running at each other. And there is no, in any of the women's rugby that I've ever played, we have had no consideration for weight grading. They have that in men's rugby. So they have under 85 kgs rugby here. They have Colts rugby, which is for young men. And then they have uh, senior and then premiership rugby. Within women's rugby, we have open grade. So we have all athletes playing together. So if we're concerned about the impact in terms of the player welfare, why aren't we looking at that? They've acknowledged that that is a thing that needs to be done for men. So why haven't they looked at that for women? So before we go and scapegoat a minority within our sport, why aren't we looking at doing some pretty basic things in terms of making our player welfare you know, more secure? And what I'd also say is, I'm, yeah, I'm a pretty staunch advocate for women's rugby in general. And I'm currently working with our union around bringing some basic things in place to make our sport more inclusive and more safe for women to participate. Because it's not just on the field that we have the issue. The biggest issue for us is still off field, where there's still a lot of people that don't think that I should be playing, that don't think that women should be playing full stop because they're worried about how feeble we are. So I think that my issue with this and with all of the arguments around it is I think that it allows men and the patriarchy to tie this to their underlying assumption that all men are stronger than all women. And that is just patently false. And it pisses me off when people say this because it's not true. I could go out of the office right now and I could pull in one of my colleagues that would be smaller than me and I'd say, run it straight boy. And he wouldn't want to but he's a man, a biological man, and I'm a biological woman, so apparently he's much more high risk to me. It's just not true. So I'm just, I refuse to accept 
that I am because of my biological gender. I, I refuse to accept that I'm weaker than everybody else. It's just not true. It's misogyny, isn't it? It is. It is. And it's, it's allowing, like I say, like the thing is, the reality is the powers that be in art sport, there is still a lot of attitude within our game, which says that, you know, women need to be protected because these poor wee women doing this thing, we're not sure about them. We've got to wrap them up. And so the, the, when people come to them with the science, they get to hold on to that misogynist view because the science backs it up that oh, all women are feeble and need to be protected. We do not. And I thought, hey, maybe I was a little bit off base with this. I do hate that I do get wheeled out from time to time to be women's rugby's view because I'm just one player. And to be honest with you, I'm not necessarily representative where I'm from. I'm a, I'm a Pākehā, so I'm a white girl, right? And when it comes to uh, my community, <laughs> rugby community here in Wellington, like we're mainly Pacifica. So it's mainly Samoan, Tongan, Fijian, and some Maori players, I'm usually the only one that's the Pākehā there. So I'm, I'm conscious that I'm not really reflective of what women's rugby looks like in New Zealand. But I thought maybe I was way off base. I went to training on Wednesday and I, a couple of my friends, you know, they're a bit more conservative. There's a lot of Christianity within our sport as well. And they were saying, to, I was saying to me, hey, you know, oh, we liked what you said on that the other day. My other mate came over and said, oh, what was that? And I said, oh, they're trying to ban trans women from playing. And they said, why would they do that? I said, I don't know. And then we just played, you know, so nobody cares. There's all these people that are very concerned at the top for us, but on the ground, we're just playing the game. We deal with it when someone comes to our game and wants to play with us. We'll deal with it like any new player wants to come in. We'll make sure that we train them how to fall correctly, how to tackle correctly, how to look after themselves on the field. And then we'll deal with it then. Don't worry about making rules for us that we don't need. I want to get your opinion on something I say often about this issue mm. that what we're really saying with this issue is that the, the patriarchy, let's just call it what it is. And I, and I appreciate that you actually went on a sports show and say words like patriarchy. Mm. Would you like to come to the United States once in a while? Some of our sports channels need to hear that word. Um, <laughs> what, I hear, what I hear often is this. Trans women are not women and cisgender women are just lousy at sport. <laughs> That's the prevailing attitude. What is your thoughts on that? Am I off yeah. base here? No, like, I think, I think you're right. And one of the frustrating things that, ha that annoys me is that often when we look and we're comparing, you know, uh, women's sport with men's sport, we're talking about it like it's gendered, when really what we're talking about is amateur versus professional programs. If you're looking at amateurs and professionals, of course, our standards are going to be different and our, our abilities are going to be different. But like, I've been laughing because they've had, um, they've got like a super comp over here, which is like the top tier premiership stuff for men and it's come up to i can't even remember 25 30 years that it's existed now so they've been showing clips from that first season oh my gosh the rugby is hideous so that was the first season that rugby was professionalized in new zealand it is ugly it is ugly it is messy it is worse than the rugby that i saw played by our competition last year and so it's like yeah we've got some catching up to do because we're not professionals yet but give us a little bit more time let us cook a little bit longer and we'll be just as good as the end product you know like we're never given the same resources and the things we achieve with nothing are incredible and then we're still sold oh no though we're not sure about this and the other thing that annoys me in terms of if we're talking about patriarchy in sports the other thing that annoys me is that when men when when sports makes a loss for men that's investment but for women that's unacceptable and until we get over that and we start funding our sports correctly and we start appreciating what sports is which is a social good then we should be investing and supporting it in the same way stop giving money 
to men's sport and calling that like investment, but calling ours subsidies because they're not subsidies. And this is the thing we don't have um, now. Is it is it Title Nine that, that they have over in the, U, uh, yes. in the US? Yes. We have no um, equivalency here. And that frustrates me. If you look at the money that's given by High Performance New Zealand, like that's our government body, it's like they give extortionate amounts to men's rugby and, well, not men's rugby, sorry, to men's sports. And you think, well, okay, this there's, you know, men's sports has been up and running a lot longer. How come this is still needing to be subsidized? So maybe we need to talk about the fact that these people do not know how to run professional organizations. And that's what we need to look at rather than men versus women, trans women versus trans men, anybody. We need to be looking at the fundamentals that are underneath this because the structures aren't right. So if I, under, if I understand this right, mm. if I understand the, the all blacks get this level of investment, the black ferns do the same thing and they're like, okay, we'll give you a couple, we'll give you a couple pence here, but that's yeah. about it. Yeah. So we've only had uh, paid contracts for the black ferns uh, for like a couple of years now, like 2017, I think was when that came in. So there's only 50 players in New Zealand that are paid, that are women, that are paid to play rugby. So people like myself, I played just the, the tier below that. We don't get paid anything. Uh, if anything, you could argue we pay to play because we've got to take time off work to travel and things like that. We're, we're fortunate compared to other women's sport in this country that we do get like our flights paid for and our accommodation paid for when we do travel. But I'm not paid... I'm I've never been received a paycheck to run out on the field. I've only ever received a paycheck for talking about rugby, not playing it. Um, so we've we still got ways to go there. And when I say 50 of them receive contract, these are not like, these would, you would question whether this is a living wage contract either, because it's not a whole heap of money. So if you're comparing what a, a like a, an all black is paid to what a black fern is paid, it's it, we're not even on the same playing field. Now, I'm trying to catch up because I don't know uh, all black from the Mets. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I know our American teams and I'm, I'm catching up that I get that these yeah. are team names. But here in the States, we have the women's basketball, the WNBA and the NBA. And mm. fans of the NBA and even players of the NBA are constantly pissing on women of the, NBA, of the WNBA because they're, it's not real basketball. Or they, there was one controversy last week in which a major nba player decided oh, to number 23 yeah number 23 he decided to just call her by her number uh -huh. hello uh -huh. hello i mean she has a name and she made him respect it and and you know of course he he uh he, he responded in typical fashion like he doesn't care what i'm wondering though is before we started the podcast you mentioned you might have a certain prime minister on speed dial <laughs> what could you do to make it difference with that political clout. Because here in the States, it's all about the advertisers, all about the sponsors. If the sponsors mm. don't think they can make money off these women who have their logos all over their uniforms, mm. unlike the men, you know, the men have a couple of different, uh, you know, advertisements, but it's not like the women, women are walking billboards in the WNBA. So what can you do in New Zealand that would make a difference to give them more um, clout? 
Well, I, I think that there's a, a couple of things. Firstly, sponsorship has not even begun to be realized in terms of um, women's sports in New Zealand. Like we barely, I think again, it was only like two years ago that Black Ferns for the first time got their own sponsor. So I think that, that it's a completely untapped potential in terms of leveraging it. And also, if you're talking about in terms of role models, you only need to look at the, the New Zealand women's team. Most of these people are still having jobs. So they're firefighters, detectives, uh, you know, teachers, all types of different, uh, you know, work it, walking the talk in terms of being out in the community and connected. And so that is, there is so much opportunity to be telling great stories and making great heroes. And I, I love, um, yeah, I did hear about the, the number 23 thing. And the thing that I love about that and paying attention to the WNBA is just, we need to start like highlighting the fact that we've got amazing people that are playing our game. And let's talk about the off-field stuff as well as the on-field, because the off-field stuff is what captures people's imagination. So I think in general, there is better storytelling we can do around our, our women's sports. In terms of what I could do in terms of government, I would have been pretty outspoken and making noises too. So we have our... Um, Minister of Sport as well here, that when, when it came to post-COVID things and money is being offered in terms of bailouts and, and support, I know I would love to see our version of Title IX brought in here. I think it's not good enough that government money is being given to organisation and that there is nothing attached to that. I mean, essentially, I believe that the role of government is to encourage good behaviour. That's what our ta tax system should be for. And so if we're giving money in terms of funding and grants, that we should also be then encouraging the right behaviour and twisting arms that are maybe stuck in an old boys mentality that this is not the growth pace of sport. And the reality is, particularly for rugby, that is the case. If it wasn't for women's rugby, rugby participation would be on a massive decline and it has been for a long time. But the growing part of the game is women's rugby. And that is the reason why the sport is still afloat because we grow year on year on year. And it's only about to be like taking off. So at the moment, one in five um, players are uh, as a female player. So we can only like, we're, and we're only going up from that. So as the men's participation continues to decline, the future is female and they need to get on board with it. How awesome is that? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And, we, and that's because of, we've got like the Blackburn Sevens team in particular. Like, so if you don't know a team, get on board with the Blackburn Sevens team because they are incredible. They're awesome. They're like, kill everybody. But they're also just like the most wonderful people. And the thing that's important for us in terms of New Zealand is that they've got such important, uh, they tied in our culture very much within that as well. And when I say our culture, not really my culture, but Maori culture is very much a part of what, is, is tying that team together and the values and the way that they carry themselves. So Māori are our indigenous people in New Zealand. Um, there is a long history. People like to say that, uh, you know, New Zealand is great. Well, that's good marketing, uh, marketing of the colonists. It's not true. We've, we, you know, have managed to do like it all over the world, all the terrible things to our, our native people. But, uh, you know, we're trying to be better and as everybody should be. But that's something that's particularly, like I say, tying that team together is, is the respect for the different cultures that are in there. Um, and it is a very diverse team in terms of, like I say, predominantly Māori, Pacific Islander, a couple of us Pākehā too. Now, actually talk about that for a second. Mm. How has, over the last especially 20 to 30 years in New Zealand, there has been an awakening among the white culture towards their indigenous culture? I mean, mm. people... Half the New Zealanders that I know on Twitter refer to the country by its indigenous name, for mm -hmm. example. More and more people are taking Maori lessons. Lessons mm -hmm. You see, everybody wants to see the haka before the All Blacks get on the field. And oh, by the way, your Black Fern 7, uh, a couple of years ago, my Eagles did beat you. 
<laughs> I am gonna take a I am gonna take a minute because yeah, yeah. I'm a huge I'm a huge fan of the USA Eagles. Right over my so, head. Right over my head. But <laughs> no, but but how has that awakening towards mm. the indigenous culture in the country affected the culture of the game of rugby? <sighs> Look, I mean, it's a really tricky one to answer, right? Because I can't tell you that things are good. I think New Zealand is still inherently racist because a lot of it is systematic. And, and, and there is a lot that still needs to be done in terms of unpacking that. I think, like anything, there seems to be a generational divide. Um, so I think younger New Zealanders have a, a, a better appreciation actually just for our history because for a long time um, just blind to it but then I can even say you know I'm I'm 31 I probably only really learned about the history of like land confiscation and stuff in New Zealand I always thought we have it we have a treaty that is between it's the Treaty of Waitangi which is the the founding document between uh, Pakia which are white New Zealanders and Maori in our country now that was signed in 1840 and me going through my schooling, I always assumed that the land wars that happened had happened before that and then the um, treaty was signed and everything was cool. Not true. We signed this treaty and then we're like, cool, we'll rip that up, ignore it and steal all the land anyway. And then that you know, was massive in terms of displacing people and, and, and why we still see the impacts of, of that um, horrible, horrible stuff today in terms of Māori being overrepresented and all the worst statistics. So there's a bit of education stuff that's got better. One of the things that they've spoken about and what our current government is doing is looking to bring that um, education of our history into it as, as you know something that is taught within our schools because our curriculums up until then was pretty patchy about what school you went to what what education you got um, but also yeah te reo lessons are, are more prolific and people are, I think are, are looking for that but I'm also very conscious that there's still a reckoning that needs to happen around Pakia New Zealanders and us finding our own way of identifying and uh, finding our place in, in this country that isn't just about appropriating Maori culture either like I, I have a very you know my family moved to New Zealand in the 1800s so we've been here a long time I don't feel like the the, the box you tick for being a white person in New Zealand is New Zealand European I have no connection with Europe you know um, and you know when I went to England that was never more stark and I was like oh my my views of the world and my, the way I carry myself is very different to how English people do that um, but that's technically where my family is from but I think we still need to do more in terms of identifying ourselves and, and having our own culture that we're comfortable with and I think we're still a reckoning that needs to happen in terms of us owning that history and doing more um, in terms of lifting all people up like we we this yeah we're good but it's a work in process as all things are and and that's what our original founding document was supposed to be a partnership between Māori and, and Pākehā and so I think we need to really be valuing that true partnership and that's the only way uh, we'll be looking to move forward. A, uh, a television commentator, host of a, uh, uh, a news type show, John mm. Oliver from England, uh, this week on his show, last week tonight, talked about American racism. And he mm. said, for most white Americans, you know, there was slavery, and then they ended that, and then there was a black civil rights movement, and now racism is over. Yay, everyone's great. And now yeah. we have This Is Us TV show. <laughs> yeah. And, and for a lot of white people, it's like, that, that's sure, that's how it is because that's how the schools educate. They don't talk yeah. about uh, the, the darker history. Uh, they don't talk about um, you know, coup de and, and, and white riots against black 
uh, you know, uh, business people. I'd like to know a little bit more about your history, though. Sure. Who is, who is Alice? Let's start with, what are your pronouns? Oh, sure. Um, so I'm her. She, her is me. Okay. And how old are you? I'm 31. Oh, my God. You're such a little pup. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and, and would you tell us a little bit about your coming out story? Oh, sure. So believe it or not, this is all pretty recent, even with this haircut. Like, this is the thing I joke about. <laughs> and my shirt. I love it. I love it. Right? Like this is, um, I, I was laughing to uh, my friend, uh, over, uh, you know, that I was coming and talking to you. They're like, oh yeah, the, the queer icon that you are. <laughs> Just because, you know, for the longest time, like for me, it took me a long time to figure it out, to be honest with you. So same, um, same, same. Yeah, same. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, it was interesting. So I think if I'm like, uh, so I had, okay, how do, how do I tell the story in a succinct way? I think um, I, you know, I grew up here in Wellington and I'd, I'd um, lived here my whole life. And at the, after the elections in 2017, um, I had a contract working for Jacinda's party up until the election. And I knew I wanted to go and play rugby overseas. And so I was trying to figure out where, and then the opportunity came up with the Trials Premiership in England to be playing there. So I moved there. And in moving there and getting out of my hometown, it's the classic thing of, you know, you, you start to reevaluate the stories you tell about yourself because you have the ability to introduce yourself to people and you think, why am I doing that? And what's all that about? Um, so I think it was over there that I had, you know, a relationship with a girl that never was anything, but I was like, oh, if she was a dude, I would call this a crush. And I think I probably just need to acknowledge that that's what that is. Um, and so that was the beginning of that. Uh, and then of course, once you realize a thing, you can't unrealize it. Um, <laughs> and so that kind of carried on for longer than it should have, because these things are never as clean as they should be. Um, and it was kind of uh, all came to a head at the end of last year where I did some things I shouldn't have while having a male partner. Don't do that. Figure it out. <laughs> better. Um, and then, yeah, so then it was beginning of this year that I separated from him. And then we had lockdown. So I went from uh, suddenly I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm, I'm, this is what's happening. And we went into a lockdown. I was in solo self-isolation for five weeks. So I was like, cool, I've just blown up my life. And now I'm going to go and, and sit at home and with my feelings uh, for that whole time, which like an extrovert in self-isolation is a wild time as is, but um, going through all of that was uh, even more like intense. Um, but I think a really beneficial time to just kind of like sit there and uh, my friend at the time had teased me and was like, I can't wait to get all these uh, 2 a.m. thoughts from you, which is like, oh yeah, that was also pretty gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which there were quite a few of that, like I said, the haircut. So um, went through, went through that, came out the other side and then started seeing um, women because I could and was free to do that. And so now currently have a partner. So yeah, like I'm a, I'm a baby, baby in terms of that part of my life. But for me, like it was, um, we call them gabies, by the way, gabies. Yes, yes, I'm a gabie, yes. <laughs> but like a whole, for me, it was just a whole obliviousness to it. And then once I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is fine. And I'm very fortunate. My family, like my mom, like since I was two, was like, so when Alice comes out, we will be doing this. <laughs> 
when I called my dad up to have the conversation with him, he laughed for like a minute and a half. And when he finally stopped laughing, he was like, but you knew that, right? (laughs) So nobody was surprised. They were all like, good job for figuring out what we already knew, pal. Um, That was the general response. Wow. Um, Yeah. I'm just wondering, you've been playing rugby. Yeah. At a relatively high level since 13. What is it about this game that keeps you going back? Oh, uh, it's, it's the like sisterhood, like the fraternity thing of it. Like, I think because it's a, it's like long, it's a dangerous sport, right? So you really have to have each other's back in a way that you, yeah, like other sports not. Like I played football, like uh, soccer when I was younger. Um, that was like my first sport. And I played that, like stuff for that as well um but it was never the same like it was like you were teams but like the players i've played with now like they're like my family um because it's really like you go through some pretty dark places and 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 on the field and so you've really got to come together um off it and i think it's it's that there's like something also like I was tiny when I first started playing, like I was a little, little thing and used to get smashed all the time. But there was like something as well from like, for me personally around like the mental toughness that that gave me from like, I would get laid out by someone and then would get up and be like, oh, I'm okay. And and like what that taught me in terms of, you can handle more than you think um, was really important, I think, in terms of my mental health and, and things going forward. So it's, yeah, it's that whole, camaraderie and everything that's so strong in in rugby and always has been like I think also more so like in New Zealand it's our national game um so it's the it's the number one sport and it's like so every it's a big part of that I always wanted to play it was just that 13 was the when I got first got the opportunity to um but it's that whole thing of yeah just the off field and bringing everyone together and I find like the I've had such more diversity as well. I think also because, you know, I was talking before about the diversity in body types. It actually means you get a wider range of people um, within a team. Like when I played soccer, it was quite homogenous. So we were all kind of the same type of person because we had to be the same type of build. Um, whereas if you're playing rugby and you've got like a prop, which I sometimes play now, which is like, we're going to love food and like lifting things, but we hate going for runs, right? But you're also going to have in the team the little fast people that love going for runs and, and doing all of that having those people together and having to figure out a way to coexist is like very fun um so you get to meet like a whole range of characters and, and that's what i love now sevens or fifteens oh for me it was my first love was sevens um but they uh and by they i mean new zealand rugby they like they just established it for um women when i was about 15 16 Only what are you talking it- about Hello. No, the no the, the <laughs> What type does this of, mean? <laughs> Fifteen, 15s is traditional. Fifteens is traditional rugby union. I just want to remind you that we don't have closed captioning to explain, <laughs> like okay. translating this into non-rugbyish. Okay. okay. No, simply the, tra- the traditional seven, ga- people on the pitch, and you play seven minutes halves, and it's usually like a day tournament versus okay. fifteen, which is fifteen people on both. Um, teams, uh, different kind of rules, and you play like one game a week because it's more physical. Thank you, Alice. I just, okay. yeah. you know, for, for, <laughs> for the for the ninety nine percent of the listeners who don't play rugby, I just wanted to like, you know, stop you. Yeah. There. So, what's so, your preference? So my preference these days is four fifteens, but sevens was my first true love. Um, but it was like I said, the New Zealand rugby 
um, got rid of our competition when I was about 15, 16. And so I had to find my way across to um, to 15s. And then they brought it back because they had it was an Olympic sport. So sevens is the one that you see in the Olympics. It's kind of like... Um, whenever they do a reduced version of it. So it's just like, it's fast and, and, and less contact and things. Whereas like, I love, because I'm a, um, I play in the front row in 15s, which is like when we do scrums, which are the parts where we push everybody around, which, you know, I've got the tattoo on my arm about, but they, um, they, I'm in the middle at the front and it's very like, yeah, a completely different thing. You're not going to see that on a, um, on a sevens pitch but it's fun. <laughs> I love it because you never have to wait your turn. That's what I love the most about rugby. Because if you want the ball, go get it. There's no, no waiting your turn. <laughs> That's what I like about it. Yeah. And, and we are hearing that sound, which means it's time to go to the break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Alice to show us that tattoo and what message she has for closeted LGBT athletes. Welcome back to the Transporter Room. We have New Zealand rugby commentator and player Alice Soper with us. And Alice, you were talking early about your coming out story. What hmm. message would you have for young LGBTQ athletes out there who are coming onto the pitch, trying to come into their own, and just trying to come out, be athletes, and just be young? Yeah, look, I think it was interesting. I was, I was talking to just my friend this morning and we were talking about how sometimes we have a, a barrier, I think, around not wanting to be a stereotype, particularly as a female athlete, right? A cis female athlete. We're like, oh, of course, you're a rugby player and so you're queer. Um, and I think it's that whole thing of like, nobody really cares um, <laughs> is, is like the, you're going to, you're going to tell yourself a whole bunch of stories, uh, and, and have a whole bunch of stuff that you're going to be worried about, but people don't really care. And, and the main thing that everybody has said to me is like, are you happy? And if you're happy, then that's cool. So just go for that, eh? And I think apart from that, like, there are so many of us, like we're everywhere, mate. And as soon as it's, it's kind of like a secret handshake, as soon as you're out and that's what you say, a signal has gone out and everyone else finds you. So there's, there's a huge community of us out here. So nobody cares, just be happy. You'll be all good, mate, in the end. That's so awesome. Let me make sure I got that right. You got a, there's a signal? Apparently. <laughs> there's I a signal. No, 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 as a person who is also, who is also trans and queer, that's good to know yeah. that there's a signal. There's hope for me yet. Well, look, I mean, I, I seem to be putting out that signal already without having noticed. Um, but now that I've, I've switched on to it, I say sorry to all those girls that slid into my DMs all those years and I just thought you were being friendly. I didn't realize. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. Well, maybe it's the haircut. I don't know. Have you I ever think been? So. I think so. I, you know, to be honest with you, and I think like, look, that's another thing too, I would just say, like, if you're like me and someone who like, outwardly reads in this way it's a lot easier i think in terms of the switch because people are like oh well this makes more sense they're more comfortable with me now because it's more aligned i think people were more confused and uncomfortable when i was with male partners whereas now they're like oh yeah like we thought 
Whereas I know if you're more feminine, that can be difficult. Um, and like, I'm conscious of that with my partner. Like if we're out, she's always a little bit more anxious about people looking at us or I'm like, ah. Um, <laughs> but that's because like she has almost like a, it's only when she's with me that it becomes more obvious, right? That, that that's, she's also queer. Um, and so that can be, I know is another layer of difficulty. So yeah, if you're not like me and, and don't have the haircut and, and you know, can camouflage yourself, like that can be a difficulty too. Like you're having to constantly come out, whereas my my self does that for me. <laughs> well, let me ask: Has it? Have you ever been mistaken for either a man or for someone trans? Mm -hmm. uh, I've never been mistaken for um, being someone trans, but I'm often um, misgendered, like it, just in like little ways. Um, like you know, when someone's coming across the forecourt at the petrol station, they'll say, "Hey, sir," and then I'll be like. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and look, I'm I'm not particularly bothered by it. It's a really interesting thing, to be honest with you. Like, it was probably more of a, I I let myself not wear dresses uh, back in like 2016. I think was the last time I wore a dress, and I let myself cut my hair, and that was a lot more like that took a lot more emotionally than coming out did, and I think that that's because that was the beginning steps of me being more authentically myself and I think about when I was younger and the ways that I was bullied like they couldn't tell me like oh and this goes back to our original argument right around how people view female athletes they could never tell me like you throw like a girl because I threw better than <laughs> so they used to always tell me oh Alice just such a man and so that was the way that I would be like bullied a lot when I was younger. You're such a man, and because you're a man, you obviously like women, so you're so gay, right? So this was the things that people would tell me all the time when I was young. And I think that's also like where I kind of put up the no, I'm not, because I could have successful relationships with men. And so I was like, that's that's not me, and put up a real no on all of that. So it's taken a lot to be unpicking that. And I think back when I, you know, cut my hair, because I went from here from about here to basically this. Um wow. It was like okay and that was pretty sh like everyone was like so you gay now like that was the thing they were like you're coming out now right and i was like no no just my hair which wasn't true but at the time <laughs> same here same here when i got an earring when i first got my first earring everyone yeah. was like you're in your 40s and you're married with kids why are you wearing yeah. an earring are you, are you mm -hmm. coming out and i was like of course i am but i'm not going to tell you that yeah <laughs> right if we go back to that advice for young people I think it's like allow yourself the little bits to make yourself feel safe and so like as much as I laugh about like what was I up to mate like obviously but like I think at that time it was what I could handle so at that time what I could handle was what was more important to me was being myself and presenting physically as myself in the world so that was short hair and shirts that's what, how I feel. I got sick of basically give, dressing up my boyfriends and them getting compliments for my outfits. I was like, no, <laughs> I'd, I'd wear it better. So I'm going to do that now. So stuff you guys. This well, is Speaking my of clothes, I, I have to, I've never asked a guest to undress, but can you roll up the sleeve a little bit? Show oh, us the I'll tattoo. Try. Could we see this tattoo? This will be a well, first for the transporter room. We usually don't have people bare their skin. Uh, 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 it's too tight on the biceps. This is the problem. I see a little bit. There it is. There you go. Yeah, it's in there. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Was wearing the wrong one. So it says scrums. Oh, I love it. Um, which is the 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 pushy part in rugby, which I. No, love. you are <laughs> truly a rugger if you love scrums. <laughs> yeah. I try I to avoid those. <laughs> well, here's a here's a question from the non-rugby player in the group or non-rugby <laughs> fan. I mean, I, I've seen rugby. Why is it they wear so little body protection? 
Oh, because th this is actually something I think that keeps our sports safer. Um, because sometimes I think this is an issue in, in, in like uh, American football is because you have pads and stuff on, they like will lead with head in terms of tackling and things. And that's the worst thing you can do in terms of injury. Because what's actually in terms of concussions, it's not the, the, the knock on the head, it's the rattle around of your brain inside your skull, right? And so if you're wearing a helmet, that's not actually going to help with that rattle. And so sometimes I think that the pads actually make people act in more dangerous ways because it doesn't, the, the, the hurt of a knock on a shoulder and a knock on a head brings in an inherent natural protection of oneself that is actually required. So all we have in terms of protective gear is a mouth guard. Um, so we like, so you yeah, put something over your teeth, uh, the little bit of rubber, it helps a little bit with like impact absorption, but also just keeps your teeth nice, which is nice because my mom paid a lot of money for these. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think personally that the, the lack of gear is actually a good thing. Um, because I think if I was wearing, it's like when I, I, I played when I was at uh, high school, I played hockey and I played in the goal and I'd wear all the gear and then I'd just like throw myself at people because I had all this crazy gear on. Um, whereas I wouldn't, I would be more <laughs> like, mm -hmm. if I wasn't wearing a whole bunch of kit. Well, what you lack in gear, you gain in mud. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, now that's the interesting thing. In American football now, they're teaching rugby tackling. Yeah. That's what they're teaching now because it's safer because it's true. I would tell, I have a, I had a college roommate who was, who was from a Commonwealth country and played rugby. And he would say, and he would say, Oh, you American football, American football players are puffs. They're puffs. I was like, okay, come on an American football pitch, wear that full protective clothing. It is true. Cause I remember yeah. playing football in high school. Oh, I used to, I used to become a human missile playing rugby in university uh no <laughs> i'd be looking for no i'm gonna i dive at ankles as much as possible like i said if i had to meet you on a pitch i'm not running it straight at you no <laughs> <laughs> no that, that's the thing like it, it's uh we, we yeah, we've had to learn how to do it safe um and that's the important the important part with any any player is teaching that but like learning how to fall is a big part of of learning how to play uh, rugby because you instinctively will put out hands and wrists and that's when you break them so you have to learn how to kind of tuck and fall all the time um which you know it takes some time but you get there so i'd like to ask if you had gone a different way and not chosen to be a rugger what would you have been what do you think you might have become alice <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Someone was saying this to me the other day. They're like, I think you would have been outspoken for whatever sport you played. And I was like, I don't know if I would. I don't, like, uh, I, when I was younger, I was, I, I ran, I like was 100, 200 meters. That was like my, my jam. But I was never really one for individual sports. I guess I would probably have spent more time doing the stuff I do off the field. So yeah, working in politics and, and doing advocacy work there. I mean, I do that as well. And now I just marry the two loves up. Um, but I think probably spending more time in that space and who knows, maybe be running for something at this point, but no, we don't need to be doing that. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, give me September 19th, you got an election coming up. Yeah. What's the forum chart for the net for for the 2020 general election in New Zealand? Because on one hand they're saying it's not open and shut, but those polls for Arden are just they're off the chart right now. 
Yeah, so the, the thing is in New Zealand is that we have um, a different system, right, than the US. So we have mixed member proportional, which um, means that it's it's like German Germany also operates this. So it essentially means that it's never just one party that wins government. There's always a, a coalition that has to happen. So a major party plus. Um, and what we have within New Zealand politics is like we have left and, and right wing parties, right? So our left wing parties are uh, the Labour Party, which I'm a member of still, um, the Green Party and uh, New Zealand First to an extent. Then you have on the right side, you've got National and um, Acts. Now, to be completely honest with you, like New Zealand politics in general is probably to the left of all world politics. So a lot of the platform that like the Democrats have is actually more aligned with the National Party. Like we're, we're so much more <laughs> um, to the left than the rest of the world, like, you know, welfare state and, 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 uh, and free healthcare and all of that. Like we also have a thing as an athlete that's really important, which is our accident compensation corporation. So if I get injured while I play sports, um, the government pays for my treatment, but also would pay 80% of my wages if I had to go out of work because um, I I blew out a knee or something. So, give me a second. I'm just going to book some flights to New Zealand one way, <laughs> apply for citizenship. Holy crap! You so know we could that, not. Right? We, we so couldn't. We couldn't do that here. We could not have a coalition government. And America is much more conservative than people think. Yes, but it's also uh, like very difficult because it's actually like a whole bunch of countries pretending to be one country, from what I can see. Right? Like there is such variation very between true. states. And I, I think of that in terms of like in New Zealand, like we're pretty much like, there is a little bit of like urban versus rural um, tension. So uh, like I say, we have these left-wing parties. And so basically what happened is that the left has just splintered a little bit more. So we've got the Labour Party, which is kind of like the big left-wing party. Then we've got the Greens who are like more to the left of the Labour Party. And then you've got New Zealand First who are kind of like more socially conservative, but also still believe in like government spending. So they kind of sit in the middle. They're also kind of racist. They say terrible things about immigration all the time. Anyway, <laughs> they kind of <laughs> come together and form that block. So the interesting thing is if you're in urban parts of New Zealand, if they're left-wing, they'll generally vote Labour or Green. But if you go to rural parts, they'll generally vote either Labour or New Zealand first. So you have that kind of split that then happens. Um, I think that it, it's looking like and I would say looking like because you never know it was only like last week this time in 2017 that we changed and Jacinda became the leader of the Labour Party up until that point of being a different um, old guy and they switched um, so anything can happen um, but it's looking like we'd probably be on track for a, a Labour Green um, coalition which would be great because at the moment it's Labour and New Zealand first like I said New Zealand first they're more socially conservative they put a handbrake on a bunch of stuff that we would have liked to have seen happen so hoping that if it's Greens and Labour then the Greens can twist Labour's rubber arm and we can blame them for bringing in a whole bunch more progressive stuff which would be cool I would be <laughs> on board with it um, but we'll we'll see <laughs> switching gears because we're not just a sports show we're not mm -hmm. just a trans show. We're not just a queer show. We're also very much a sci-fi fantasy show. Okay. And, and if fantasy, especially fantasy literature and fantasy fair has, has kind of an ancestral home in a sense, New Zealand is it. So <laughs> what are you grooving to 
in the fantasy realm right now? Uh, well, see, to me, I always love like a Margaret Atwood uh, dystopic future. Um, <laughs> but then I heard someone that was a great quote that someone said that like the reason that white people love dystopia is because it's just like us reading about like colonization for, you know, other people, right? Like, <laughs> like oh, imagine oppression. And everybody else is like, yeah, imagine. Yeah, it. hello. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that's all. Yeah, I, I also love Philip Pullman. Obviously, Book of Dust, the the series. So I um, that was like a you know, Amber Spyglass when I was a kid was like one of my favorite books. And so the fact that he's come out with another one and that he's made Lyra into exactly who I always hoped she would be, which is like a sassy feminist in her you know twenties and just going around loving her life. I'm like, yes, girl, like love that for you. We've also got a. a, a I'm like a big fan of shouldn't be of like particularly like teen young adult fantasy novels are like my fave um what's wrong with that what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong with that because me too yeah so there's a very cool um new zealand author called cheryl jordan so if you've never read any of her books recommend um winter of um, fire was like the first fantasy book i read and actually one of the first books i ever sat down and read properly and so good so good um fantastic one recommend was Lord of the Rings, which was filmed in New Zealand, was that something that you uh, grooved to? Oh, see, look, I have to admit, as a Wellingtonian, because uh, Weta Workshops is based in, in, in Wellington, we have a little bit of a love-hate relationship um, with it, because we were like, we were a thing before everyone noticed us because of Lord of the Rings. We've got a lot of the Lord of the Rings stuff in our airport, and it's like, can we not? That was so many years ago. Let's move <laughs> past this. Plus, to be honest with you, Weta Workshops is a pretty terrible employer. They've done some terrible things, like this is me getting back off of my uh, union's uh, you know, soapbox, but they've done some terrible things in terms of changing uh, workers' rights um, in order to shoot those things in this country. Oh my Which goodness. is fundamentally wrong. Peter Jackson has a lot to answer for in that space. So I have a love-hate relationship with it. I can Obviously, understand. You know, seeing us beautiful on the big screen, we love that. But the other stuff, mm, less, less so, less so. Alice Soper, we are so pleased that we could connect with you down in New Zealand. Let's yeah. set coordinates. Thank you very much. We will see you on the internet. And we look forward to hearing your latest comments on politics and how the election turns out in September. Oh, thank you very much, Capitano. And we're gonna like, and we're gonna have you back. I'm gonna tell you this right now. We gotta have you back. Happy, happy to you know give updates of the World Cup when we're hosting it. Yes. All right. I'm Cheers. gonna fly down for it. Cheers. 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 I'm staying at my place. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Okay.